You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You can be seated and good morning to the 840 today. Glad all of you are here on this uh, parents weekend. Looks like we have a few parents here today. Life isn't just about the spiritual, even as followers of Christ. There's also a practical aspect of physical things and, and material things. How are we to manage the material things that God has given us? How are we to be a stewards of, of all the things that God has granted us? What we don't want is we don't want the need of material things to become the greed of material things. Let me say that again. We don't want the need of material things. There's definitely a need for material things in this life. We don't want the need of material things to become the greed of those same material things, which is kind of the American way, right? What can I buy? Uh, What can I drive? What more can I buy? Uh, Where can I I live? How much money can I make? We we live in this consumer-oriented culture. We definitely need material things to survive. So material things are not sinful in and of themselves. But we do want to make sure that we're good stewards of all the things that God has has given us. We, We want to make sure that we own material things and not that material things own us. It was Albert Schweitzer, the, the German doctor, the German theologian, who, who said, if you own something that you cannot give away, you really don't own it, it owns you. If you own something that you just can't depart with, it's treasured, a material thing that you have that is so highly treasured, you really don't own that thing, that thing owns you. It is possible for things to become obsessions to us in our lives. It is possible for clothes and cars and possessions and bank accounts and, and paychecks and newer things and bigger things and, and the latest things to become our pursuits. In fact, that is actually the strategy behind the unbelievable force of American marketing, which is really three words. You need more. Let's hear what Jesus says about this because it's going to be a radical departure from what our culture is saying to us today. With your copy of God's Word, and I hope you have one with you, let's go together to Matthew chapter 6. This fall semester, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to skip a few verses we're going to come back to in the next sermon series on prayer. And so I'm going to jump down to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. We're going to read a few, few verses, see what God would say to us, then read a few more verses, see what God would say to us, and we'll do that a few times this morning. Matthew chapter 6, the first book in the New Testament, will begin here in verse 19. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to his followers, and not to the half-hearted followers at that. Those who are serious about following him as fully devoted followers of Christ. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus takes these two ideas, and they're competing ideas. 
treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And he does this juxtaposition of how the two of them relate and do not relate to one another. First, he talks about treasures on earth in, in verse 19. The treasures on earth is the accumulation of, of excess. It is things that we have that we don't really need. And Americans, have you noticed, we, we are experts at collecting things we don't really need. So what do we do when we have too much stuff? We have yard sales and, and garage sales. This is shuffling our junk to another family in the neighborhood. And then flea markets. I mean, you could probably tell by that name there. That's a dead giveaway. In fact, flea markets were actually named in, in France uh, for fleas that were found in all the things that were given away in, in the junk. We go, to, we go to flea markets just to buy some things that no one else wants. Uh, it is said that one out of every eight Americans actually own an off-site storage unit. There's now 50,000 storage unit sites across our, our nation today. We have enough stuff that we rent space to store more of our stuff. And Jesus is saying right here in, in verse 19, if you have so much clothing that moths are getting to it to eat it, you have so much gold and silver that is beginning to rust, or the word there is to corrode, so much unsecured stuff that thieves are getting to it, then you have put your security, your, your hope, your investment, your treasure on earth, and it can be taken. But then he shows us about treasures in heaven, verse 20. Treasures in heaven then is using what you have or leveraging the things you do have, your possessions for eternity. So note takers, you can write this down. This is what Jesus is talking about. He talks about treasures in heaven. Use what you have to invest in kingdom work that impacts people for eternity. This is what it means to store up treasures in heaven, to use what you do have, and that may be a little or it may be a lot, and invest what you have, that time and those treasures that you have, to invest in kingdom work that impacts people for all eternity. So when you support the church financially, when you give to missionaries or give to ministries or give to gospel partners like Fellowship of Christian Athletes and, and, and Hoops for Hope and CareNet here in town, uh, when Highland does things with your generous giving like dig water wells in Rwanda we did a few years ago, to build a church in Nepal, we did that a few years ago, to wipe out $34 million of medical debt in seven counties in Texas as you did a few years ago, to give $425,000 for three church plants that you did just four months ago. What you're doing when we do this is we are laying up treasures in heaven because we're impacting people for all eternity. You're making an eternal difference. Jesus says, do that. Leverage what you have for eternity. And then Jesus points out here in verse 21, where, where your heart is there, your treasure will be also. Um, actually, just the opposite, verse 21, where your treasure is there, your heart will follow, your heart will be there also. It's at least kind of that second point. Where you greatly invest, you will find your greatest affections. Where you greatly invest your, your time, your, your money, your treasures, your talents, where you invest those things, that's where you will find your greatest affections. Two of the greatest indicators of the condition of our hearts would be our calendar and our bank accounts. Because what we really love, we're going to invest into our, our time. What we really love, we're going to pay for. 
We're gonna spend some money on those things. So Jesus says, build up your treasures on earth. When you do that, when you build your treasures up on earth, it moths and rust and thieves and, and taxes will come and take it. But if you build up your treasures in heaven, it will not be taken. It cannot be taken. It will last forever. Matthew chapter six, let's pick it up here in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is kind of a confusing verse here until you realize Jesus is using a Hebrew idiom about a good eye, or here it says a healthy eye in the ESV. Your Bible might use the word good eye. And, and a bad eye. We see that in, in verse 23. The, the Jewish people had, in fact, the Jewish people still have this expression today, a, a good eye, ayin hatava, or, or a bad eye, ayin hara. And so even today, that, that idiom is used of having a good eye or, or a bad eye. Overall, it means an optimistic eye or a negative, cynical eye. We have a very similar idiom here in the States. That glass is half full or that glass is half empty. Uh, the Jewish people had that same expression of those who would, who, who would see things with a, a positive eye and those who would see things through a cynical, negative lens. And that Jewish idiom has a lot of, of implications to it. But here you have to see the context. Context is so important. In, in real estate, what are the three most important things? Location, location, location. And in studying the Bible, it's the same three things, except it's context, context, context. Jesus is talking here about the context of money and the context of wealth. And so a person here with a good eye, an eye in hatava, would see that everything that they have, everything that you have, comes from God. That God is the source of every good and perfect gift. That God is the owner and we are the stewards And that person, verse 22, has light in their lives. But a person with with a bad eye, uh, an eye in hurrah, which means an eye that would say, or a heart that would say, everything that I have comes from me. God's not my provider, I am my own provider. And that person we see in verse 23 has darkness in their lives. What's the point Jesus is trying to make? I think it's this, if you're a note taker also. If we see God as the generous source It is easy to be generous ourselves. If all of us in this house today, I'm gonna guess all 1,300 and 1,300, how about that? 1,300 of us today were were to, to take this view that every single thing you have, including every minute of life that you have, is actually a generous gift from God. Every possession you have is actually a generous gift from God. It becomes that much easier to be generous to people around us, that much easier to be generous to those who are hurting, those who are without, those who are poor, those who are hungry. It becomes that much easier to to give, to let go of things if we realize that God is the generous source of, of all things. And then Jesus would say, if that's where you are, then there's light in your life. There's a joy in your life, but the opposite is true also. If we think that everything that we have comes from our own making, and that everything in our house belongs to us, and everything in our lives belongs to us, that we are the source, then it's easy to be self-centered with the things that we have because we think, well, those are my things, God. And that brings darkness, Jesus says. It brings sadness to your life. Matthew chapter six, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus knew that our heart could not love both of those things. Our hearts can only love one of those things, either God or money. And you know, money is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. If we use money for for good purposes, then that money can serve us well. But just in a flash of a moment, we can be so consumed for more dollars, for for more things, and then we become uh, uh, in bondage. We become uh, in bondage to a terrible master. And so money can either be a, a great servant or a horrible master. The question that Jesus is asking here really is, who is your master? Who is in control of your life or what is in control of your life? Who controls you? What controls you? And either Jesus is Lord of everything in our lives or he's Lord of nothing in our lives. You'll either be consumed as Christ is Lord, with Christ is Lord, or money is Lord. So I'm gonna put this in the first person for you today. I'm gonna let you own this statement yourself. My heart has room for only one great devotion, the God of heaven or the things of earth. Uh, this is the conclusion that, that, that Jesus gives us. There's, there's not a third way. There's not a middle ground. Our heart has room for only one great devotion and that will either be the God who, who owns everything or these temporary things of earth that we own. And Jesus actually says here, you will despise the other. You will love one and hate the other. You will worship one and be devoted to one and you will despise the other. My heart has room for only one great devotion. The God of heaven are the things of earth. Let's pick it up again in Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Let's read a pretty big section of scripture here. Matthew six, verse 25. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life. Now this is in the context, of course, of him saying you're either gonna love God or love money. You're either gonna give all your time to money or give all your time to God. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. In other words, if you choose to be devoted to God, don't be worried about the money. Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day, amen, is its own trouble. Matthew 6 talks about a lot of different things. I'm gonna focus on the thought here of of worry because I feel like that might might just be where we are today. Three things I want you to see about worry. I talked about this actually three years ago 
but you've slept since then, you've probably worried since then also. So let me tell you three things about worry. Number one, we worry most about the things to which we are most devoted. We worry most about the things to which we are most devoted. So worry isn't just an emotion that rises from life's uncertainties. Jesus said it's emotion, it's an emotion that is connected to our deepest desires. Want to know what you're most devoted to, Highland? Here's the question, what are you most worried about? Because those two things are are connected. We worry about the things we're most devoted to, which is why Jesus starts this portion of of scripture uh, about worry by challenging us to ask ourselves, what are you most devoted to? We saw that back at the very end of verse verse 24. You cannot serve God and money, therefore I tell you, verse 25, don't be anxious about your life. Jesus knows that we worry about the things to which we are most devoted. So when he discusses worry here, he starts with the big one, money which we can translate as security or or, or comfort. If you're devoted to money, you'll worry about it all the time. If you think that money is the one indispensable element for a good life, then you will worry about this all the time. You'll worry about getting more money, keeping more money, finding more money, getting a better job to make more money and not losing money. You will find yourself devoted to, to money because that is where your element of worry is found. For some of you, it may not be money, but if you're devoted to to great health, you'll always be worried about your health. If you're devoted to everyone liking you, you'll always be worried whether everybody likes you. If you're devoted to your social status, you'll always be worried about your social status. If you're devoted to, to getting married, you'll always be anxious about getting married. If you're devoted to raising perfect kids, then then you will always worry about raising perfect kids. If you're devoted to success, you'll be so anxious, you'll always find yourself worrying about success. We worry most about the things to which we are most devoted. Secondly, worry thinks that God is small. This is what worry will try to convince you, that God is actually a small God because worry thinks too little of God. Because it elevates that the obtaining of things is greater than God himself. But life is more than than making a lot of money. It's more than wealth. It's more than gaining more things. Or as Jesus said at the very end of verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see, worry says God is small and all the things that you worry about are big. A worry will step into our hearts, will step into our minds, will begin to convince us that the things that we worry about are huge and God is unbelievably small. Worry says, don't put your faith in God, put your faith in your possessions. Put your faith in what you feel. Put your faith in your emotions. Worry actually can be a faith issue, which is why Jesus says at the end of verse 30 in chapter six, oh, you of little Faith, the context there is worry. It's this anxiousness about tomorrow. And so worry actually can become a faith issue. Worry says that God can't come through for you. I'm about to preach to some of you, so be ready. Worry says that God can't come through for you, so you'll have to depend on yourself to come through for yourself. Begin to push God aside and say, God, I'm just not sure you can do it, but look at me, I know I can do it. Can I just tell you the, the worst seasons of my life was when I pushed God away as the shepherd of my life and I tried to shepherd it myself. 
that should cause you worry, right? If you want a real reason to be anxious today, be in charge of your own life. But God who wants to be our shepherd says, no, let, let me shepherd you be the sheep. By the way, I love that equation. I will gladly be the sheep. God is such a good shepherd. Jesus, such a tender shepherd. Worry says that God can't come through. So you'll have to depend on what you can do for yourself. Thirdly, worry underestimates how highly God thinks of you. If we begin to worry, we begin to, to forget that God thinks highly of us. God thinks of us so often in such high ways. For you future lawyers out there, present lawyers here today, Jesus uses this later, uh, lesser to, to greater argument here. Jesus says, if God is the kind of God who is concerned about the safety of birds and the beauty of flowers, don't you know that he thinks of you and values you in greater ways? Look at verse 26 again. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Remember, Jesus is on, on a mountainside on, on, on the north, uh, northwestern port, a portion of the Sea of Galilee. And I'm sure that he was able to point up to the air when he said this, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. We don't see anxious birds. Look at, verse, look at verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is gone, will he not much more clothe you? Jesus points us, I love this, Jesus points us to the character of his father. And Christian, listen, he's your father too. Isn't it obvious in creation that we serve this giving, supplying, protecting, providing God? He is a good father who thinks so highly of his children. It is spiritually irrational for a Christ follower to choose worry. It means that you believe that God can take you to heaven, but he can't help you here on earth. That he is good for all of eternity, but he is insufficient for tomorrow that he delivered you from hell, but he won't deliver on the details of your daily lives. Christian, we've got to stop acting like atheists. We either believe this biblically established character of God or we do not. This is why Jesus says in verse 32, the very beginning of verse 32, don't live your life like, like the Gentiles, like the pagans. Don't live your life like the godless people who don't know God at all. Don't live like LSU fans is what Jesus is saying. Don't live like these people who are completely godless. John Dash Durham at highlandbc.org if I need to hear from you LSU fans. But by contrast, by contrast, verse 32, the end of verse 32, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. In other words, Christian, at Highland today, we have a heavenly dad who cares so deeply for his kids. He thinks so much of you. There's a lot of radical teaching right here. What we should do with money, what we should do with things, how we should leverage wealth, ha having a good eye, not a bad eye toward toward generosity? How can we serve just, just one master only and then, and then not, not to worry? How do you live out Matthew 5, 6, and 7? 
the key. I think the swing point is found in chapter five, verse 20, and chapter six, verse 33 that we read just then. Verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you seek first the kingdom of of God and his righteousness. This is the entire point, I believe, of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that our our eyes, our hearts are to be set on God. And and this righteousness that can be obtained actually comes from the one who is doing the preaching, Jesus. By believing upon him and for what he accomplished for you at the cross. I said this a few weeks ago. This is the essence of Christianity, that you give Jesus your sin and he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his right standing before the Father. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that we're so consumed with in God's timing and in God's providence and in God's best, oh, they will be added unto you after you seek first the kingdom of God. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word to us today. Jesus, you come and you turn our lives upside down. Everything the culture says to us from Monday to Saturday, you come to us in this passage, Jesus, and you just turn everything upside down. We can't serve the things of this earth and the God of heaven at the same time. Our hearts simply do not have that capacity. So Father, today, would you help us to surrender, to lay down some things? Maybe to lay down our our devotion to the things of of this world, our devotion to wealth, our devotion to money, our devotion to more things our devotion to social status, our devotion to temporary success. Would you, by your grace, allow us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And then we'll trust you for all the other things that will be added to us. God, today, maybe some of us need to lay down our worry, our anxiety, Maybe some of us walked in today with actually a a bad eye. We walked in here cynical that everything we have, we worked for. Everything we have belongs to us. God, would you, by your grace, give us that good eye to see that everything we have comes from the generous hand of a providing father who thinks so highly of his children. Help us to operate in that truth this week how we love you. God, thank you for loving us first. It's in the name of the Son, Jesus, the righteous one that we pray. Amen. God's word delivered to you. How would you respond? We're gonna sing a song of worship together. You may wanna take full advantage of coming just kneel here before the Lord. Maybe there's many of us in this house today that would say, I just need to lay down worry. I'll worry about anything and everything. I'm just going to lay it down. I'm going to lay down worry about my kids before you. I'm going to lay down worry about money for tomorrow before you. I'm going to lay down the worry about grades and my acceptance and what people think of me. I'm just going to lay that before a God who thinks 
so highly of his children. Let's sing together. Once the priest comes.